Hey guys, and welcome to season three of Getting Into Good Trouble. Where trouble goes, we follow. I'm Georgia Ray. I'm Bo. And I'm Harris. And we're your hosts. Today what we're going to be talking about the protests surrounding the arrest of Alexei Navalny. Now, Alexei Navalny was an opposition leader in Russia, but he was recently arrested, and a lot of people are very mad about that, and we're going to be exploring it today. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Hoffman, who is a professor at Georgia Tech, specializing in social justice and inequality, because we came to a point in our research where we realized we needed expert input. We will put quotes from his interview throughout the podcast for your listening pleasure. So, what happened? So, basically, Alexei Navalny was on a flight to Moscow on August 20th of 2020, and uh, they had to make an emergency landing because he was poisoned. Oh, yeah. yeah. He started, yeah. like, seizing on the flight, and it was it w- was not looking good, but fortunately, they were able to land, and he was taken to the emergency room, but they had to put him in a... He went into an induced coma. Like, I mean... And he was in it for weeks, but you know, fortunately, he was able to recover. But I mean, I mean, kinda, if he made it to prison, he probably survived. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, that's true because that's that's where he is now. But I mean, it's he was it's a, Novichok, which is what was used to poison him, is a nerve agent, right? Yeah. And you know, it was developed by the Soviet Union during the Cold War, right? It's and a whole full circle thing. It's, it's extremely, you know, dangerous. And I don't want to say it's a miracle, but it's definitely a statistically improbable that he's still here. But I guess it's a good thing. So. Yeah. And then so he was he was in a medically induced coma like you talked about. But yeah. February 2nd, 2021, by then he was recovered. But a mm-hmm. uh, on that date, a Moscow court jailed Navalny for failing to report regularly to the police in 2020 because, you know, he was literally (laughs) in a coma. Well, the funny part is he actually did report to them. Yeah, And so they completely ignored that. Why is he reporting to them? So basically in 2014, the court, they alleged Navalny and his brother for fraud and embezzlement. Mm -hmm. And... It was the sentence was suspended because he was innocent. Yeah. And actually, a couple years later, the European Human uh, Court of Human Rights dismissed the case, uh, like condemned the case as a violation of human rights. Yeah, because uh, I mean, yeah. the the Russia was they were witch hunting really. Yeah, and they they really, really. they had no grounds for the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so really, it was all built from nothing. Like if Alexei, if he jaywalked, he would be going to jail. Yeah. It's really yeah. I mean, because he's such a threat to Putin at this point that they really just don't want him in the public eye. They don't want him influencing anything anymore. He's really become the face of this movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's become the figurehead for this movement by the people because they're, I mean, they're done with it, right? You know, the collapse of the Soviet Union was supposed to be the end of, Mm -hmm. you know, the corruption and the beginning of a, a better, you know, theoretically time, but... It seems that history tends to repeat itself. Yeah. And, but, you know, the people are standing up against that. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's it's really the people. Because mm-hmm. even though Alexei's in jail right now, yeah. the people are still protesting. And that really goes mm-hmm. to show, like, the outreach of not only just his movement, but the mm-hmm. movement of everyone. Because, you know, he set his, he set his movement on media and yeah. around the people. And so because... It was based on those factors. He was able to continue, not just him, but the whole movement was able to continue through his imprisonment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even it with, actually um, really just fueled it. Yeah, I mean, really, I don't know what you know Russia was expecting with this because if he died, he would die a martyr. And yeah, that is yeah. Um, never good. Well, at least for the oppressor. Um, 
and but i mean even now it's really an extremely bad situation for russia because now you know he's still alive but he's also you know these protests are happening and he's not even like fueling them like once once he gets out of jail it's going to be you know i i can imagine how you know how mad he's going to be and how much you know anger he will be able to, you know, rise from the from the people, and how much damage he'll be able to cause to the, you know, to the Russian government. Yeah, but even not just like him. If yeah. he's in jail and these protesters still happen, yeah. it shows that this is the people's work. Mm-hmm. It's and the it always it's protest. just the people. It always has been, right? It's I mean, Alexei is just he's just like an outlet. He's the you know starter. Mm-hmm. Of, he's yeah, he's the like match they, to yeah, the flame. They needed a yeah, spark. Really, and I mean, he it, was yeah. there, and now they've dumped a box of matches into a can of gasoline. And now, <laughs> the now it's just going. It's just going. Great analogy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, but I mean. I can imagine when, once once he's back in the public eye, it is going to get very interesting. For sure. So Navalny just has this super, like, he has a huge impact on not just Russia, but on the entire world. And he does this mainly through social media because he, he speaks the street language of younger Russians and it appeals to them. He has a YouTube channel and his anti-corruption videos have millions of views. Yeah, he doesn't speak to like just Russians. He speaks to everyone, like any teens, any young adults, like everyone, every age, all over the world. Yeah, and something that Navalny is specifically good at is just being charismatic. He understands the inner workings of the internet and how to appeal to this younger generation that is often forgot, unfortunately, in a lot of protests. So it was a very smart thing to do to appeal to these people. For example, when he was in court for his case, he said, directed towards Putin, begin quote, his main gripe with me is that he'll go down in history as a poisoner. We had Alexander the Liberator, Yaroslav the Wise, and we will have Vladimir the Underpants Poisoner, end quote. And this was because when he got poisoned with the Novichok nerve agent, it was smeared on his underwear. And so this underwear poisoning became almost like a meme in Russia, which was interesting to see his impact on social media and how far his reach extends. Yeah, I feel like he can really especially reach out to the younger generation since he has two kids himself. So I feel like he they can give him a lot of input. I think a big issue is inequality. What happened after the uh, breakdown of the Soviet Union is that, uh, you know, these oligarchs came up who are basically, uh, they were able to to concentrate all the wealth in their own families, you know, and that means uh, uh, nobody else uh, could benefit from that. And so you 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 get after the after 1990 and the breakdown of the Soviet Union, you get huge inequality between people who are extremely rich and and the majority, which is getting poorer and poorer. So at the fall of the Soviet Union, everything was communist, which means yeah. everything was owned by the state, mm-hmm. right? But so then when they switched to capitalism, they just privatized everything, which in theory was supposed to make it so private citizens could own businesses. Yeah, but in actuality, the reason that the Soviet Union fell is because everybody was getting poor and hungry. So private citizens didn't have actual money to buy shares of companies and to actually invest and take advantage of, you know, the new capitalist system. But a couple of families did. And so they bought everything. Around six to eight, pretty much owned everything everything because they just had enough money and they bought all the shares and 
you know, took control of all the private companies. So at that and point, they basically owned the yeah, government, right? I mean, yeah, you went from, you know, a communist state to a capitalist, you know, economy, but it was just still owned by like six people. Never good. No. And uh, that's definitely reflected by the millions of uh, people who died in the following years after the collapse and, you know, the mass famines and um, just the really, really bad uh, corruption and everything. It was not a good time to be alive. Yeah. So those were called oligarchs. Yes. But then eventually one of the oligarchs, I believe, stepped down Mm -hmm. from his position as kind of a government minister. And so he put his assistant... Uh, he made him the president, and he happened to be Vladimir Putin, who mm-hmm. is still president to this day. Yeah, and I, the whole situation is extremely complicated, but, um, you know, just we needed to simplify it so we can get a bit of backstory on why and how we've gotten to the situation where we have, uh, you know, somebody in charge and taking advantage of a political system and a theoretically free market, but has still ended up, you know, being in term and being the president for like decades at this point it's yeah it's really going around those system and i mean loopholes how can we not have corruption we went from the soviet union which was super corrupt to Uh oligarchs which could do whatever they want to putin who just inherited this system of Uh corruption yeah really it's um it's a backwards (laughs) it was backwards from the start all right so i know there's a lot of context here but remember the episodes about the protests themselves so let's just discuss that a bit yeah so um there were major protests in over 29 cities and that's not even including the smaller ones with the people who wanted to protest 6,000 people gathered in Moscow, and 1,000 of them were detained. And specifically, according to Andrei Zamyatin, another demonstrator uh, from the fights, he said the fight for the future protests had at least 200,000 to 300,000 people in the street. I mean, it was it's showing that these people are really just going out there and just fighting for what they believe in. Yeah, that's like a lot. But yeah. a sixth of the people detained, like I, I would imagine it's very hard to protest in corrupt places like Russia, but yeah. that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah and then to touch uh-huh. on what you were saying earlier with that there were people who wanted to protest but didn't, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like people who weren't sure if other people would protest and because, you know, if only 10 people show up, you're going to yeah. get destroyed by mm-hmm. the police. Yeah, I mean, there's that tipping point, right, where you get enough people in a group that you will be safe, you know, because as and we safety said, it's, in numbers. it's a, you know, corrupt country, so you're going to have you know, that problem of you need enough people to actually protest just so you can, you know, hold a protest in the first place. So yeah. I'm sure there were so many more people who wanted to but just couldn't because they would probably get, you know, incarcerated or detained or, or you know, hurt they really. They scared. would risk their lives and yeah. it just wasn't worth it. But even the people who did protest, I'm sure it was hard for them as well. But I mean, oh, they yeah. just believe yeah. so much in the power of anti-corruption mm-hmm. and yeah. a movement. I mean, there's there's so much video online of, um, you know, protesters clashing with the police. And it really is, uh, it's crazy to watch, you know, that these people have to go through all of that just so they can spread their message about something that is seemingly like a basic human right, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. to be able to vote and, you know, Protest. choose how you want, to, you know, to be governed and... Yeah. I mean, it's it's Crazy. it's really about focusing and leaning into the deeper why of these protests. I mean, mm-hmm. we see on the surface what's happening. We see the d- imprisonment of Alexei Navalny and yeah. the de- detained people in the streets, but mm-hmm. we're not really focusing on like 
why are they doing this? And they're doing this because they want their freedom back and they want yeah. that choice in the government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's they're fighting so hard for it because it's not a small thing. It's it's big to these people and yes. these people really are you know, the people of Russia, they're fighting. They're, yeah, yeah, they're fighting for their they're for their free. rights really. Yeah. For their rights. This podcast was brought to you by Caroline, Harris, Bo, Sarah, Georgia, and myself, Lex. We would like to give a special shout out to Dr. Hoffman for being a wonderful interviewee, Miss Fancher for facilitating this project, the Innovation Diploma and Mount Vernon team for making this all possible, and for you, the listener, for tuning in to what we have to say. Thank you so much. With regard to the future, I am not very optimistic and I cannot see how it really could change.